involved with all the good stuff that's going on. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Dave. Hey, uh, mate, thank you for being down at uh, Lake's Entrance uh, this week and uh, being involved uh, in helping that church there to get their heads around what uh, biblical relational discipleship really looks like. You know, uh, we want to take an opportunity this morning before we open up God's Word to honour a couple in our church uh, who will be leaving in the next few weeks to uh, to head down to Melbourne. You know, uh, every now and then there are people that come into your life that's profoundly impact not only your own life but also the context in which we kind of kind of live and play as a family and uh, that has been really the case here at Bendigo Baptist you know one of the things that we do every year uh, is that we acknowledge and we recognize people for their ministry in the life of the church we've done this a number of years ago for this couple but in light of the fact that they're leaving we thought it was appropriate to get them up and to just uh, say a bit of a thank you but uh, get them in a moment but uh, Phil and Ellie Cutler who have been a part of this church for nearly 30 years came here in the mid-90s, became members of the church in 1998, and have just been a part, I, want to, I don't want to say part of the furniture, but been a, been a part of the, the life of this place and have just given selflessly over all those years. Uh, Ellie uh, is just well known for her gift of hospitality. She's an incredible servant of God. Uh, if you've uh, have maybe been new in this place or uh, you've been blessed by her food or just the way in which you've been maybe part of their life group at some point, Ellie's just an incre- just got, got a great gift there. And most people will not know that until recently, most Mondays, Ellie was here in the church building. She was in the kitchen. She was making sure things were clean. The floor was mopped. Things were vacuumed, tidy. Windows were cleaned. Just selflessly gave and gave and gave uh, and just served alongside of Phil and, and all of their ministry as well too. Phil, in getting in coming to the church here, uh, they'd been at Sindel Baptist for 20 plus years with their family. The girls had grown up there, and so they came here uh, and so quickly got involved in ministry. Phil, uh, within uh, a year, was involved in the pastoral search committee. He was chairing the pastoral search for uh, a youth pastor, their very first youth pastor here at Bendigo Baptist Church in 1999. That's where I first get to, got to meet Phil. Uh, and uh, when Julie and I came here, our family lived with them for about six weeks and we adopted this little mantra really quickly, what happens in the house stays in the house so that no one else would kind of know much about us. Uh, but Phil, not only has he served on a pastoral search committee, he was an inaugural member of... Um, uh, of our church council in 2004, having served already as an elder uh, on our church council, ser- has served there for over 12 years. Uh, has led a life group for 15 plus years, was a Kids Hope mentor for seven years. Their ministry and the life of this church has been really profound. And so would you join me in welcoming Phil and Ellie to the platform this morning. Let's put our hands together. Come on, guys. All right, come up this way. There we go. All right, we want to take this brief opportunity just to, to say a, a thanks to both Phil and I. Come on over here. And uh, just to express our love and our gratitude. But maybe, Phil, you can tell us where are you going, when, you, when are you going, and what can we be praying for you? Going back to Melbourne to an aged care facility where they may be able to look after us in our declining years. Um, when are you going? To, when? 
That's a good question. We feel a bit like Dame Nellie Melba with all our farewells. And um, we're actually going now on the, I think it's the 11th of March. 13th of March. Somewhere there. You know as well as I do. <laughs> You're looking... I'm not trying to get rid of you by any sense of the imagination, okay? I'm reminded this morning we had the group from Indonesia up here is looking back over the years of ministry. The 2004 trip that was a wonderful trip we had with four gentlemen from the church, Phil Travolcock, Dave Lovell, Andrew Davies and myself, never to be forgotten. That's right. But fundamentally it's time not so much to reflect on who did what around the place but just to be thankful for the ministry that we've been able to share with so many people over the years. It's been a joy and a privilege. We really appreciate it. What was the other question? Uh, how can we pray for you? Just for strength and for not a sense that it's the end of the road, that maybe there's a bit of more gravel road to travel and um, that we will be of some use where we go and able to minister to what the Lord has done in our lives. Phil and Ali, we, we know that you came from Sindal with huge raps. Bill Brown uh, had mentioned uh, that uh, you were a quality couple that were coming this way and you've been a gift to them and you have been a gift to this church and to this church family for nearly 30 years, for which we are so grateful for. And you can be assured of our prayers, our love and our support. We know this is not the end of our journey with you, but uh, we will continue to, uh, to keep praying for you as you transition into the next season of your life. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to say, mate? We could just finish with Ellie's catch cry that she brings to all who visit us, the plaque hanging on the wall. And what does it say, Ellie? Be still and know that I am God. Amen. I want to pray for you both. Why don't we stand up, hey? Good thing. Get out of our seats. Let's pray for Phil and Ellie as they make this transition. Father, we thank you for uh, the many different people that you bring into our lives as individuals and also as a church family and for the way in which you use uh, their unique gifts and personalities to bless the lives of so many other people. And so today, uh, Lord, we give thanks for Phil and Ellie uh, for the ministry that uh, they have shared in together uh, in the life of this church. And we pray that as they uh, make this move now to Melbourne, that you go ahead of them. Uh, That, uh, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful provision of uh, facilities there that they will move into. And Lord, uh, as they return there and then return back to Sindel once again, we pray that uh, there will be more opportunities for them to be involved in ministry. Uh, Lord, you will just open up for them. Uh, God, thank you that you are a great shepherd, uh, that you go before us. You, uh, you don't leave us on our own. And so, uh, Lord, as Ellie has just said, uh, uh, we, uh, we are just reminded by the truth of your words and the way in which that speaks to us. And I pray that will be a reality for their life as well too. Uh, we ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you to you both. Bless you guys. Bless you, okay?
All right. Hey, if you haven't had the opportunity to say goodbye to Phil and Ali yet, uh, you've got that chance uh, in the next couple of weeks to, uh, to, uh, to catch up with them. Great. You may be seated wherever you are. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. I'm really excited about today and the opportunity to uh, just to share a little bit from uh, God's Word uh, in my life in this brand new series that we're doing called Recreated. Uh, just a short little mini-series over the, the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, I wanted to start today by just sharing that my life has been profoundly impacted uh, over the years by this uh, rich Christian heritage that has been poured into my life. You know, obviously my parents have had uh, an influential role in helping to shape me and to, to help me grow my understanding of who Christ was and then to make a decision for Jesus. But I keep thinking this week, I was thinking about all the other people in my life that God has placed at different times, and probably many of us in this room can you know, talk about the same thing, that uh, have played an important role in my own journey. I think of some really dear friends. I think of youth leaders that uh, some of them are, are in this church today that had a profound influence in my life. Uh, I'm thinking of other adults that were further down the track that were more mature in their walk with Christ that just loved on me. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of pastors, Bible college professors. The, the list is really quite large. When I look at all of that, I am so grateful to God for these people that he has put into my life. And, you know, as a young kid kind of growing up, uh, you know, I made a decision as a young age, made a recommitment as a 16-year-old to ministry at that point in time. And as a young adult, as an 18, 19-year-old, began to kind of fall in love with the church and was just actively involved in ministry. I just kind of it's what I was doing with all my other peers at that point in time. But it wasn't until my early, or probably my mid-twenties, where I suddenly, where it suddenly began to dawn on me my understanding of discipleship, disciple-making, and why a disciple-making culture was so important for a local church. It began to kind of dawn on me. And it helps to explain why at the beginning of each year, we kind of circle back as a church and as a ministry team, we, we talk about all things discipleship. And, uh, you know, I, I realize that uh, as we kind of have this conversation, you know, we are pretty passionate about it. Dave's just been talking about it this morning, completely unplanned. It's just kind of, it's a natural thing that flows out of us. But, uh, you know, some of you might think, well, you know, why are you so focused? Some might think consumed with discipleship. Well, the obvious answer to all of that might simply come back at me this morning from all of you saying, well, Jesus, what Jesus did, he, he made disciples that made other disciples. And so if it was important to him, it should also be important to us. And my answer to that would be, well, that is absolutely right. That is the correct answer. But I actually think uh, we've got to go much deeper than all of that. I mean, while the final words of Jesus in the Great Commission ought to be our first priority, that should just be enough for us. I actually think, based out of my own experience, kind of growing up and grappling with discipleship and disciple-making, my own experience reminds me that we've got to have a, a much more deeper and holistic understanding of why we ought to be disciples that make other disciples of Jesus Christ. So what's our why? See, this is really important. You know, why? Why would we be so passionate? Why would we, as a church, make it our intent each year to keep talking about, you know, disciples who make disciples? Why, why are we committed 
to this journey of, of, of being disciples that make disciples? Well, while I'm thoroughly committed to discipleship, I also know that being and making disciples of Jesus Christ is not the end goal of the gospel. What do I mean? What is the end goal? I want to put it in this statement. We are to be and make disciples who imitate and obey Jesus so that we might bring glory to God by being recreated into the image of God that he originally created us to be. See, being recreated into the image of God is the goal, is the, is the goal of the gospel of Jesus. And when it is properly understood, I think that's what then drives our commitment and our focus around disciple making. See, that's our why. And I want to, I want to explore that today. I want to kind of build on that. I want to help us to grow in our understanding of that. Because if I'm being honest, I didn't get that until I was in my middle twenties. I was kind of raised in a great church. I had great people pouring into my life. It was a wonderful environment, but maybe I was just kind of the slow one. I don't know. But it was in my mid-20s that suddenly the penny dropped for me and I realized, oh, that's why we do what we do. And one of the things I think I've discovered over the years after, you know, kind of that beginning to kind of grow, my understanding of discipleship beginning to grow and percolate in my life is that I began to realize we are so good at kind of coming and just doing. We gather and we kind of do what we do as followers of Jesus, but sometimes we don't understand the why. And when we've got the why, it completely changes our lives and our focus. So this week I want to spend some time looking at the why. Why have we been recreated? And then next week I'll build on a little bit more by talking about the the how-to. What's that look like? What do we put in place in our lives that kind of carries us on that journey? But let's start here. You see, uh, several months ago, Julie and I, we were in Turkey. We had a wonderful time clambering around the ruins of Turkey. And uh, really, it's quite a phenomenal place. Uh, to think that we were kind of walking and sitting in places where some of the early apostles, people like John and Paul, where Timothy went, some of these early disciples where they spent so much of their time. Uh, the places you're in, the ruins are you know, from 2,000 years ago. And it was in this environment that I thought, you know what, being right here in Ephesus, it seems appropriate that I would pick up and begin to reread uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, uh, if you know something about the book of Ephesians, you'll realize, yes, it was written to those early believers right there in that city, but it wasn't just intended for them. It was most likely a circular letter, which meant that it was to go out from there. It was, be, it was to be read by uh, other, uh, other believers in the early churches right there in Asia Minor. And so as I began to read this, you know, Paul's letter, six chapters right there, the first three chapters deal with some theological issues, but the latter part, Paul segues to talk about some practical issues for Christian living. And it's in chapter four, as I was reading it this time again, that there was something that jumped out at me that I actually hadn't seen before. So I want to read this together this morning because it has something to say about being recreated, being created uh, into the image of God. It begins in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And uh, as I read it, see if you can spot it as well too. This is what Paul says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, says Paul, is not the way of life you learnt when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see it? Right there in the scriptures. Paul speaks about putting off and putting on putting off the old self and putting on the new self created to be like God. Now, I want to be really clear on this. Paul was not saying that we were created to be God. He was saying created to be like God. Now, why did this grab my attention? Well, for many years, I'd read many different passages in the scripture. You know, I think of Romans 8, 29, where it talks about us being conformed or transformed into the image of Christ. So there's plenty of scriptures that kind of refer to that. But this is the very first time that I'd actually read this, this letter and I'd seen these words and they kind of jumped off at me. But in one sense, it makes sense. You know, if we believe that Jesus is the son of God and he is the perfect image of God, as the scriptures tell us, then to be conformed or transformed into his image would be the same as being transformed or conformed into the image of God. They are one in the same individuals. Now, Paul says right here that in this passage that believers are being conformed or recreated into the image of Christ. If we're, if, we're, if we're being recreated in this image, then it is true uh, that we're also recreated in the image of God, which is what we were originally created or designed to be. In other words, Paul is saying we are saved not just from something, but for something. You know, we often, when the gospel is being explained, we're talking about, would you make a decision for Jesus? And in making a decision for Jesus, your eternal destiny is secure, which is true. And then it kind of stops there. But we're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from hell, for heaven. We are saved for something else. See, the scripture teaches us that God saves us with the intent of returning us back to our original design, to our original state, back to that original design. Paul says it, but what does the entirety of scripture say? And to take it even further, you know, what does Jesus say about this? And what does the early church and theologians right down through the ages, what have they taught about this? Was Paul out there on his own or is there a continuous thread that reinforces this idea of being recreated back into the image of God? Or what do the scriptures teach us? The Bible is really clear. It's more than just a, a book about God. It's a book written to humans explaining who God is and what humans are to him. In other words, it talks about the relationship that we have with him. And one of the best ways of maybe explaining that to you really quickly on the screens is that this picture, this image kind of shows the relationship we have. It shows, it actually holds our story. See, the scriptures explain how God created humans in his image to bring glory to himself. 
and how humans fell from this, their original design because of sin and then how, uh, uh, and then how Jesus through both his earthly ministry and then through his death, burial and resurrection came and rescued humanity from their sins. And after being born again, the Bible explains how we as God's creation continue this journey of becoming conformed or transformed into the image of Jesus or God's. And like so many good stories, this story, the Bible finishes where it begins. In the beginning, we see God uh, and humanity in creation in their perfect states. See, at the end of this story in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation, we are given a vision of humanity once again free from the curse and once again bearing the image of God perfectly, ruling and reigning over all creation in relationship together. See, that's the story of the scriptures from beginning to ends. The Bible begins with humanity being created in the image of God and it finishes in the end with humanity being recreated into the image of God. It's the story that Scripture tells. You see, from the beginning of time, God has been recreating his creation back into his image. Well, what did Jesus teach us about this? Well, he famously referred to, in that sense, recreation when he was asked by some religious leaders whether it was appropriate to pay taxes to Caesar. Realizing that these religious men, the Herodians and the Pharisees of that day, were trying to entrap him, Jesus asked them to give him a Roman coin because he had an object lesson he was going to teach them. And what was on this Roman coin? Well, on this Roman coin was the image of Caesar. And Jesus said to these religious leaders, he said, whose image is on that? And they said, Caesar. And then this is what he said. He said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Now, what was Jesus implying in that? Well, in essence, he was teaching that just as Caesar could exert ownership over those coins because of his image and demand that they be returned to him through taxes, human beings on whom God has stamped his own image should rightfully be restored to him too. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, I just thought, I thought this was just all about us paying our taxes. Well, well in one sense, yes, that, that, that application sits there in that passage. Believers should pay their taxes, but the real point of this object lesson was to point those listening to the most important problem in human existence. Jesus was saying to these religious leaders in this conversation that humans are not in the image of God that he created them to be. So rather than getting all kind of uh, stitched up or worked up about whether we should or whether we shouldn't be paying taxes, Jesus was saying to these religious leaders that they ought to be focused on imitating God and being restored or recreated into the image that he created them to be. And then they'll know whether they should be paying taxes or not. See, Jesus spoke about recreation. Well, what about the early church? You know, what did the early church and many of the early church fathers and then theologians, what did they teach about this same idea that Paul spoke about? 
Well, it's interesting, you, you begin to do some research and there is this unbroken legacy of teaching on this subject. Beginning with the authors of the New Testament, sits strongly right there, but then you kind of move into the early church fathers such as Tertullian, Ignatius, Arrhenius, Clement and Augustine of Hippo. They all taught that being recreated back into the image of God uh, was, was God's intent for our lives. Uh, Athenaeus of, Exaler- of Alexandria... A theologian from the 4th century wrote extensively about this, uh, about being recreated in God's image, and his explanation is probably the most famous amongst all the early church fathers. He compared mankind or humankind to a self-portrait painting by gods that had been damaged by the weather. And because the artist valued his own image and his own creation, he was compelled to restore the painting back to its original design. And this is what he said. And I quote, For as when the likeness painted on a panel has been effaced by stains from without, he whose likeness it is most must come once more to enable the portrait to be renewed on the same woods for the sake of his picture. Even the mere wood on which it is painted is not thrown away, but the outline renewed upon it. In the same way, also the most holy son of the father, being the image of the father, came to our region to renew man once made in his likeness and find him as one lost by the remission of sins. Athenaeus spoke about it, gave us this beautiful picture of what that looks like. You know, jump down throughout the centuries and you come to a man by the name of John Wesley, someone who is much more known to us, but still two or three hundred years ago and John Wesley, an evangelist, a theologian, the founder of the Methodist movement, said in the 18th century these words. Man knows not that he is a fallen spirit whose only business in this present world is to recover from his fall to regain that image of God wherein he was created. Recreation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor and theologian, from the from last century, who was well known for his stance against the Nazis, and ended up costing him his life. But in his book, he wrote "The Cost of Discipleship." He said this: "The image of God should be restored in us once again. This task encompasses our whole existence. The aim and the objective is not to renew human thoughts about God so that they are correct." but that we, with our whole existence and as living creatures, are the image of God. Body, soul, and spirit. That is the form of being a human in its totality is to bear the image of God on earth. And God is well pleased with nothing less than God's own perfect image. And if that is still not enough, if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, who wrote prolifically, Uh, So many children's stories that are really adult stories but have been turned into movies that we just relate with today but just captures the same idea. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he said that God's goal is to restore humanity back to their original design to reflect his glory. You see, the evidence is overwhelming. Paul, in his writing to the Ephesians, he said to them, put off the old self and put on the new self created to be like God's. The early, the, 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 the New Testament authors echoed the same thing. Jesus spoke about the same thing. 
The early church fathers said it over and over. Theologians and great thinkers since that have continued to say the same thing. You see, what's that say to us is that um, the end goal or, or the goal of our lives is not just to be disciples. It's not just to prioritize discipleship. The end goal of all of our lives is being recreated back into the image of God, back into God's original design for our lives. You see, if we sit here in this room or watching online right now and we're already following Jesus, that ought to be the focus of our lives. You know, there is, a, there is the Westminster Catechism that sits out there that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What's it look like for us to glorify God? How do we do that? We glorify God uh, as we live out our lives as followers of Jesus with this commitment of living in such a way that God gets the glory as we are being returned to our, the, the original design, our original creation. So what's all that mean for us at the, the start of a brand new year as we're thinking about ministry, as we're thinking about uh, uh, the vision of this church, about, uh, about um, being a, a group of empowered believers who are impacting the city, state, nation and globe? You know, what's all that mean for us? Well, I think it has a couple of really important applications for us today that I want to just kind of land and let us think about today. That I think really, they, they apply to all of us. They apply to... Two groups of people probably particularly, uh, to whether you're here in this room or watching and you've never made a decision for Jesus, it applies to you. And for the rest of us that have kind of begun that journey of being recreated into the image of God, it applies to us as well too. So, so let me start with the first group of people. See, the reality is that as, as we gather together today, yeah, it's possible. There are people sitting in here right now that have never made that decision. They've never considered, never made a decision or even considered the journey of being, uh, of returning to their original design, to the journey of being recreated into the image of their creator, into the image of God's. And maybe you've been listening to that. Maybe you've been thinking about that today and thinking, well, that's kind of new to me. And I'm not even quite sure where I would start with all of that. Well, I want to suggest today that really the journey, the decision to make, to move in that direction is really quite simple. It's just acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's come and died for your sins and invites you into a right relationship with him, he invites you to take a hold of all of that. And he promises to restore and to make things new. Now, I was thinking about that and trying to think through what's the best image that I could think of that talks about restoration. And this week, I thought about cars. You see, we have people in this church who love to restore vehicles. Taking something that which uh, has become old and restoring it to its original state or design. They spend a lot of time and a lot of their effort, a lot of their money in taking something that we would now look back and go, that's a classic, uh, that it's a bit old and battered and destined for the scrap heap, but they have invested their lives in ensuring that that has been restored and made new. You know, in one sense, I know the metaphor is not completely there, but in one sense, this describes the journey that we are on or, or the, the journey that God wants for our lives. 
You know, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just being, it's not just about, well, you, you got to embrace Jesus because you don't want to go to hell. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is much fuller than all of that. And it talks about us being, the, the, the goal of the gospel is to recreate us into the image of God, to take us back to our original design. That's the story of the scriptures. It's the story the scriptures tell. And so if you're here and you're thinking about this for the very first time, you're exploring faith that I want you to understand today, this is so important, I want you to understand that God's goal for your life is to recreate you back into his image, back into his original design. And maybe that's something you've never done, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that before I close today. See, it applies to those of us that might sit in that camp today, but you know what? It also applies to the rest of us to a whole group of people, to many of us who are already on this journey of being recreated into the image of God. Now, whilst it's very clear, justification happens at that moment when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Justification happens right there. But then we go on this journey of being recreated into the image of God. It's a lifelong journey of, 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 of it's a process in our lives. And maybe for so many others of us here in this room, this is really where it sits for us today. You know, we turn up in this place. We, we come along and we just kind of go through the motions. But I want to say to all of us at the start of the year, of a brand new year, is how is your discipleship journey going with Jesus? See, discipleship is not the end goal. Being recreated into the image of God is the end goal. But how is your discipleship journey? Because it's the, the journey that we go on that gets us there. See, I can't answer that for you. I have to think about my own life, don't I? I think about, well, how is that journey going? How is it going? You know, next week, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the how behind all of that. The how of the journey. But it starts with us encountering Jesus. Encountering him in the daily rhythms of our lives. Encountering him as we gather together in worship. Encountering him as we open up his word. Encountering him as we worship on our own. Encountering him as we pray. Encountering him in all areas of our lives. See, this is what it looks like to apprentice our lives to Jesus. And as we read the New Testament scriptures, it becomes really clear that uh, we cannot follow Jesus and simply stay as we are. It's not the way it works. That's not an option that we are given in the scriptures. You know, Paul didn't say, you know what, come to Jesus and then just kind of sit and soak and just uh, kind of enjoy the rites. He said, put off the old self and put on the new self created to be like God's. Imagine a prisoner for a moment leaving a prison and walking out of that and he is free. The sentence has either been pardoned or they have been set for, they've done their time. They are no longer a prisoner. Can you imagine walking out of that prison and continuing to keep walking around in your orange jumpsuit? It'd be weird, wouldn't it? Why would you do that? 
That'd be the very first thing you'd be ripping off thinking, you know what, I don't want to be associated with that in any particular way. I am done with that. Well, that's in a sense what Paul is saying to these Ephesians right there in the city. He's saying, you know what, put off the old self. That's not who you are anymore. And put on the new self created to be like God. See, for many of us, maybe for the rest of us here in this room that are already on that journey, that's what we're being called to do. See, we talk about discipleship a lot here because we want to keep reminding people that the essence of discipleship, the core focus of it is it's not the end in itself. It is just the means that allows us to be recreated back into the image of God, back into the original design that he created us to be. You know, why would you get into a life group and open up God's word with other believers? Oh, I hope we're not doing it just because that's the cultural thing that we do. Because then we have miscommunicated all of that. You see, we value uh, relationship with other people. We grow, we believe that we grow best in relationship with other people. And so that's why we encourage people into those environments. See, it's in that environment as we're opening up God's word that we are being recreated back into God's image. You see that? See, being recreated happens in all kinds of areas. It happens in relational environments. It happens in this environment right here. It happens at home when we're up early in the morning, we open up our Bible and we're just kind of pouring over the scriptures or we're driving and we're listening to worship music. There is something happening in that space. We do those things because it helps in our journey of recreation. So I wonder today, as we start this just brand new series together, what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. Now, maybe for some of you, right now, it's a decision that says, you know what, I need to embrace Jesus. Never heard this before. I've never been told that there is a plan for my life and that that uh, my creator, a created God, wants to return me back to my original condition. You know, for you to do that, you have to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior. To embark on that journey, you have to embrace Jesus Christ. You have to be able to acknowledge. It's not a hard thing to do, but right here and now, it's just acknowledging that Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. I thank you that you came and you died for my sins so that I might be made right with God, that I might start this journey. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make my heart your home. See, that's what it takes. And maybe, just maybe some of us, maybe there are people here that need to make that decision today. Or there are others of us And we're thinking about what's that look like for me to be on this journey? There should be a whole bunch of us here in this room and online thinking about that right now. Evaluate, are you happy with where your journey sits at right now? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? Is there something that's stopping you from going all in? Can I encourage you, don't just turn up in this place and go through the motions. You know, We want to encourage people to be coming along here because maybe you're exploring faith or this is a place and Bendigo Baptist as a whole is going to encourage and nurture you in your journey with Jesus. And maybe 2024 is about 
getting ser- being serious about saying, you know what? I want to open up my life to encountering Jesus. And allowing him to recreate me back into the image. Not just stay where I am, but to continue his work of transformation in my life to where he wants me to be. You know, one day we are going to stand in the presence of Jesus. All of us. Whether we have acknowledged him or not, but we're going to stand in the presence of Jesus. And if we've embraced him as our own Lord and Savior, that in that moment we will be made completely perfect. It's going to be a wonderful moment. We'll worship like we've never worshipped before. But whilst we're here on earth, God has taken us on a journey. And it involves us being open to that journey. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray. Our team is going to come back up. So the team is coming. I want to just give you a moment just to think quietly wherever you might be. What's the decision you need to make today? Is it to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior for the first time? There's no greater decision you can make. Or is it a decision today that says, you know what? I, I need to be all in. In this journey of following after Jesus. Father, we are so grateful this morning that as we think about your word from beginning to end, it tells the story. It begins by telling a story of humanity being created in your image. And it finishes by telling us how you have recreated us back into your original image as well too. God, we thank you from beginning to end, it tells the same story. Father, I want to pray for people right now that uh, are possibly making a decision today to embrace your son, Jesus Christ, as their own Lord and Savior. They just know in their own spirit, as they've thought about this, as they're hearing these words today, that they know that they need to respond. God, give them courage right now to embrace your son, Jesus Christ, as their own Lord and Savior, to, to take that next step, to acknowledge that uh, your son is the Savior of this world. That he came and he died for our sins. And that by embracing him, we too can be recreated back into our original design. Father, would you move in people's hearts today? Father, I pray ultimately you would stir in all of our hearts here in this room. In the hearts of all that are listening today. God, that you would stir in us a desire. Not to just want to go through the motions in 2024 about just kind of ticking boxes. But that you would stir within us a fresh passion for your son, Jesus. That you would stir within us an even greater desire to open up our lives to encounter the risen Christ. To encounter him in prayer, in in reading your word, in, in gathering in worship. To encounter him in the daily rhythms of our lives, wherever it might be, where we might get we might get caught unexpectedly by this. Because that we know that in those moments. God, you are doing your special work of recreating us. You are helping us to return back to our original design. Father, thank you for your transforming and conforming work that you have done, that you are doing through Christ in our lives. God, we want to be a church 
that is on fire, that is moving with you, that is, that is moving where you want us to go. And so, Lord, would you lead us in all of those things? Help us to hear from you. Help us to, 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 to sense your nudges in our life. God, keep doing your work. I pray in both young and old here in this room as we walk with you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.